terrific. Um, let me add my welcome to that of Johnny's. My name's Mike. I am one of the leaders here at the Globe Church. It's great to have you with us, whether you're online or here in the room. Um, and as Johnny mentioned, we've started a new series in the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, and it's really exciting stuff. We saw that last week. Um, so if you've got your Bibles to hand, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. Um, we're going to be carrying on there. So Genesis chapter 12 starting at verse 10 through to verse 20. Great. All right, let me read. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, saw her they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Great. As we come to God's word, let's ask him to help us. Let's pray together. God of Abraham, we ask you to speak to us this afternoon. Father, help us to understand what is going on here with Abraham and Sarah in Egypt. Father, teach us from your word, we pray. Teach us to trust in you, to listen to your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you react when something you were expecting to happen doesn't happen? What goes through your mind when things don't quite go to plan? Let's try and think about this a bit. Um, imagine, this, this might have been some, someone's real experience. Imagine you're about to go on a holiday somewhere. You've booked a flight to go on holiday for two weeks. Let's go, where, where do you want to go? Let's go somewhere warm. Let's, yeah, that'd be great. Let's go to the Maldives. I've never been there, but apparently it's awesome. So imagine you're going to the Maldives. You've got a two-week holiday booked. You've packed your sun hat, your t-shirt, your flip-flops, your snorkel if you've got one. It's all paid for. You're ready to go. All you need to do is to turn up to the airport and go. And then you get that dreaded T and C. Everyone now knows what that means, right? That double line in your test. What goes through your mind? How do you react to that? How do you respond? Despair, frustration. You question everything. When did this happen? How did this happen? Why did this happen? How could it happen now? Then you think, what can I do about it? Can I change my situation? What are the rules now? There are five days, they're getting shorter and shorter. Maybe there's just five hours, I might be okay.
See, when when something is promised and it gets delayed, it's frustrating. When you face hurdles to a promise, lots of emotions and thoughts bubble to the surface. Doubts start to come and you think, that's not going to happen anymore. It makes you despair and react. And this afternoon, what we see here is how Abraham reacts when the immense promises of God from last week get delayed. How does Abraham react? What does he do? And through that, it shows us, it helps us to ask that question, how do I react as I wait for God's promises to come to pass? When things seem to get in the way, when doubts start to creep in, how do we react to that as Christians? That is what we're going to see through Abraham this afternoon. Now remember where we were last week. If you weren't with us last week, we started this new series in Genesis chapter 12 onwards. And this great title, I Will, we saw that all over the passage last week. We heard this immense promise from God to Abraham saying, look, to this man who lived in Ur, was called out to step out from his family and venture miles across to a land that God was going to give him. Where he said, you're going to be a great nation, a father to many people, and I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment. Just make a mental note. If you're taking physical notes, make a physical note. There are those three things there. The land that God promises, the people that God promises, and the blessing that God promises. Because those three things, that triplet, is foundational to, to the way we see God's promises throughout Scripture, not just in Genesis. So make a mental note of that, and it's going to help us to understand what's going on here this afternoon. So there we have God's promise. And it's because of this promise that Abraham hears that Abraham goes. In faith, he steps out. That's what we saw last week. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, he's been told that his offspring will inherit the land that he sees before him. He's childless at this moment, so this is exciting for him. It's exciting to think that it all started here. Through Abraham, we saw how we have this connection with God as we worship the same God then as today. We have a connection with Christ through this promised offspring, and we have this family connection through faith in this offspring, this seed that brings us all together. So Abraham is like the central figure of our Christian faith. When you see him in last week's passage, you sort of look up to him, God of Abraham. Oh man, the hero of the faith. Imagine him. I, I, I kind of sort of imagine this guy with a perfectly trimmed beard, like James Doc, but grayer. Beautifully carved staff who walks around like a boss, like Gandalf the White, that sort of image. But do you know what? As I read this passage, did you start feeling a little bit iffy? A little bit uncomfortable with what's going on? Did you start to question, Abram, what are you doing? Particularly regarding his wife, Sarai, what is going on with that? Because if last week we saw Abraham as the hero full of faith, this week we see Abraham as the human who seems to lack faith. Right after God has given him this huge promise, Abraham now faces a huge problem. He hits his first major hurdle, on this journey with the promise of God. In verse 10, we see it very clearly. There was a famine in the land. Not any old famine, it's a severe famine. Literally heavy. It's not a situation that he expected after such a promise. And remember at this point, Abraham has left his father's father's land. He has no land of his own. He has a wife but no kids. No nation before his eyes. And he's left with little in his possession. He has no place to settle with God. There is no blessing before him. So now all he sees is this major hurdle in front of him, stopping this promise of God. So how is he going to react? How do you react when something is not quite working? 
Last week we said we moved into our new offices, and it's awesome, it's great, it's right just behind this building. Everything is going, going really well, but there's a big problem, still a big problem, in that the heating's not working. So we were promised as, a, as part of our contract that we would have hot water and heating, that was a promise there. But last week, I can tell you, it was freezing. We were so excited, we got in there, it's like, yeah, take our coats off, and then literally 10 minutes later, coats on. Next day, everyone comes back with more layers and more layers and more layers. As we sat there in the cold trying to work, huddled around little cups of coffee, every half an hour or so, one of John T. or I would get up and go, I think I can sort it out. And so we'd go, oh yeah, there's a cupboard around the corner, let's check in there. We'd go, come back, press some buttons. Yeah, I think that's done it. Come back, nope. About half an hour later, okay, I'll, I'll try, let me try John T. I'll go, take the same key, go to the same cupboard, press the same button. I think it's done it. Go sit down, no it hasn't. And this cycle went on for days and days. We tried everything. Switched off the lights, switched them on, thinking maybe they're connected to the heating. It's only when the plumber finally came round. He, made us, he just said to us, it's outside your control, it's upstairs. You need to get upstairs and we, we don't have the key. Here's the issue. I think as humans, we're sometimes prone to treat God like this. When we hear God's promises, we get really excited. Yes, yes, this is true. And then the first hurdles start to come. When things seem to get in the way, we start to get restless. We start to question. We start to doubt. We start wondering if God really will when he says, I will. And then we start slipping into this attitude of, okay, if he's not going to do it, if he won't, then I will. We start to take matters into our own hands in our lives. If he's not going to give me a land, a people, and a blessing now, then I'm going to try and find it myself. That is exactly what this famine is doing. It's exposing Abraham's heart and his reaction to what seems like a major delay to God's promises. That is what hurdles in our faith can do. They expose our hearts to show how we really feel when God's promises are delayed, when they seem distant, when we have to wait. Do we react like Abraham? Do we begin to question, to doubt, is God's promise really going to pass? For those moments when we feel that way, this passage warns us. I think there are three dangers that can come about when we start to doubt God's promises, when we start to try and handle things ourselves without God. Here's the first danger. The first danger is this, the danger of settling in the wrong land. The first thing you'll notice is in verse 10, he heads from this famine, he goes down to where? To Egypt. Now I've been, I've been this has been quite hard this week, trying to figure this out. Because for those familiar with the rest of the Bible, when you hear Egypt, what do you think? You think slavery, oppression, ah, oh, Pharaoh, bad. And that's sort of right. That is a big picture of Egypt. But as I grapple with this passage, I want to nuance that slightly. Because if you look at the rest of Scripture, Egypt is also sometimes seen as a place of refuge, a place where God's people go to when they're in trouble. In Genesis alone, Abraham, Isaac his son, and Jacob, they all see famines. Abraham goes to Egypt, Isaac's told not to, but Jacob is told to by God, commanded to by God, to go to Egypt, where his son Joseph has become a ruler there, and Egypt becomes a refuge for God's people. You flick forward to Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 2, just after Jesus is born, when King Herod is about to kill all the baby boys under the age of two in Jerusalem, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and Mary and tells them to flee to Egypt. So this is how I want to nuance this. The problem isn't 
Egypt just because it's Egypt. But the problem is when you start to think Egypt is the promised land that God has given. That is the problem. It's when you start to think that Egypt is my home. See, the problem with Abraham isn't that he sought refuge there, but he sought to live there for a while. That's what it says in verse 10. That word literally translates as live as a foreigner in dependence upon another country. It's like he's hopped on Zoopla and said, oh, okay, where's the next place, best place to live? Because this place doesn't look right. Instead, he should have remembered that God was refurbishing his home, his promised home, and so he should have been on Airbnb instead. See, naturally, Egypt was attractive. In Canaan, he had this little river, Jordan, but when you look across at Egypt, there's the river Nile. Fertile plains, so green, looks so rich, like a safe haven. Egypt always looks attractive. That is why even after God has rescued his people through Moses from slavery, from Egypt, and they're out in the desert, what do they say? We want to go back to Egypt. But here's the thing. Genesis 12, 1-9 tells us clearly, God says, that is not your promised land. Egypt is not the promised land. God has told him, has shown Abraham where his future home will be. He wants to make it clear that Egypt may act as a refuge for a while, but it will never be your home. So don't settle there. In Matthew 2, when we go back there, Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt, but they're there to actually fulfill the prophecy that says out of Egypt, God would call his son. God wants to make it clear throughout the Bible that Egypt is never your home. If you make it your home, it will quickly become a place of trouble. Just as the Israelites experienced in slavery and oppression in Moses' day, just as Abraham's going to experience in a moment. And that is the danger we can fall into when we start to doubt God's promise. We start to think, is Egypt our home? We start to find promised land elsewhere in Egypt. Abraham's starting to show a lack of faith in God's promise because of this hurdle before him. Now, just to clarify, this is not talking about modern-day Egypt today. If you want to go on holiday there, it's fine, absolutely fine. But it's to realize what Egypt means and represents in the Bible. It's the place that is not the promised land of God. See, as Christians, we now live as those who belong to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, not of this world. There is a promised land for those who believe in Jesus that we look forward to, that we're heading to. That is why in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, addresses Christians as exiles. To say, look, your home isn't here. Don't get comfortable here. Don't settle here. That is always a danger of Egypt. Abraham was in danger of becoming dependent on, on Egypt, on settling there, of getting comfortable there. And that is what we need to watch out for in our own lives. So let me ask you this. Are you getting comfortable in your Egypt today? Is it becoming your home? Are you settling more in the world, thinking that this is the land that God has given to us? Are you starting to look around you and care more about the things here? That you think that you need to make your life here more comfortable, instead of thinking of the promises of God that point you to a place that is far better, that he's calling us to. How often do you think of yourself as an exile? To think, oh, my home here is temporary. My home is in the promised land of God. There's that warning, don't get comfortable in Egypt. 
You may live there for a while, but it's not the promised land. Here's a second danger that creeps up on Abraham. The danger of compromising with the wrong people. Right as he's about to go into Egypt, now he's made his decision, we're going to go and live there for a while. He's, he's about to go in, he knows that there are these people living there who are not the people of God. These are not the promised people who would be his family, who he'd be a father to. He knows these people do not fear God and they live in a completely different way. But he enters Egypt fearful of them. He, knows, he thinks that these people can kill him because of his beautiful wife, Sarah. Think about this. According to God's promise just before, God said to him, you're going to be a father of many peoples. That means you and Sarah are crucial to this plan. And you have no kids at the moment. And if God has promised that, that means an heir is coming. If you don't have a child yet, then I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you and your wife. That is what he should have seen. But this hurdle, this famine is making Abram doubt. It reveals his lack of faith in God's promise. As he's moving towards Egypt, now he's got to find a way to make it work with the people there. And so he's shrewd. He tells this lie. It's a half-truth. Later on in Genesis 20, there's a, a very similar story where he tries to explain how Sarah could be seen as his half-sister. But he uses this half-truth to cover over the whole truth. He compromises morally. Now, the whole point of this story isn't about the lie. The lie, it's an issue, but it's not the main issue. See, the bigger issue is that he's compromising on who he is, who God has called him to be as the father of many nations, a blessing to many peoples, he is gripped by a fear which drives him to cover up his God-given identity. Now you could defend him and say, oh, he's just being street smart. He's being savvy. It's good, isn't it? He's clever. And it sort of works. Verse 14, they get there. The Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. woman. But as a brother, instead of his uh, husband, as a brother, he's going to be able to bat away the suitors. Oh, no, you're not right for my sister. It's like those scenes in those movies, you know, when those teenage boys come and ring the bell to take their daughter to prom? Ding dong. And then dad steps on and like, who are you? What are you doing here? What's your name? What do you study? What do your parents like? It's like that doorstep in. That's what Abram can do. That's why he did this. Except what he doesn't expect is verse 15. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, Pharaoh's right-hand hand men, they see her and they go and tell Pharaoh, oh man, Sarah is beautiful. And the ruler of Egypt steps in and takes Sarah to be his wife. This is now a major problem for Abraham. Because not only has he, he ended up compromising himself morally, hiding his identity, but now he's compromised and jeopardized his wife. But the biggest problem of all is now that with Sarah gone, there is no way Abraham can see of fulfilling God's promise. Sarah is key to this promise too. When Abraham is promised to become a great nation, a father to many peoples, implicit in that is Sarah's role as a mother. Even in this passage, you probably notice there's a lot that pivots on Sarah, on her beauty, on her disappearance, on her return. The writer wants to highlight the importance of Sarah in the promise. Paul alludes to this in Galatians chapter 4, when he symbolizes Sarah as representing the divine promise and now Sarah is behind the palace walls of Pharaoh, no longer by Abraham's side. The promise seems to be ever fading now. Let me just pause for a moment and ask us this. Are we in danger of compromising? 
Now, let me be clear. We're not like Abraham and Sarah. They're, they're uniquely given the promise. But remember the family connection we saw last week? In Christ, we are now children of Abraham. Dante took us through that song last week, didn't he? Father Abraham had many sons. I heard it once on a camp, and it was weird. And then you've got like, legs and head and stuff. This is, I feel like this is going to become the, the theme tune to this series now. But in Christ, you are the child of Abraham. So the question is, are you in danger of compromising on who God has called you to be? Is the hurdle, the, the sort of famine in your life, driving you to lose sight of God's promise that he is a good shepherd for his sheep? That he is blessing you through Abraham's promise? Instead, are you finding ways to try and protect yourself, your reputation, your image with those around you? Are, people, are you fearing people in this world more? Are they becoming more important in shaping your life? how you think, what you believe in. Do you sometimes try and be too clever? And you try and find half-truths to cover over the reality of who you are, who God has called you to be in Christ as a descendant of Abraham. Where is it that perhaps we need to ask God to forgive us and help us to not compromise, to show trust in God's promise that he is raising up a great nation today as he promised through Abraham. Here's the third danger. The danger of being satisfied with the wrong blessings. The danger of being satisfied with the wrong blessings. So now Sarah is gone. She's in the palace. But in return, Abraham's treated pretty well by Pharaoh. Verse 16. Now, I'm not sure I'd be too chuffed to have a bunch of sheep, cattle, and donkeys in return for my wife. I would argue that Jemima is worth far more than a bunch of farm animals. And I'm not just saying that to get in her good books. But, look, to be fair to Pharaoh, though, he's giving a marriage dowry to the brother. He has no idea that Sarah is Abraham's wife. He just wants to honor the brother of his bride. So Abraham, who's initially come to Egypt as a, a refugee, he's beginning, beginning to settle. He's, a, he's got a growing reputation as the brother of the beautiful Sarah, and now he's being blessed by Pharaoh. Abraham, the foreigner, has quickly became, become Abraham, the farmer in Egypt. And it starts to feel like things aren't that bad after all. Not only is there this danger of getting comfortable in Egypt, but now there's this danger of being satisfied with the blessings that come from him. It's easy for us to read this and think, well, it's not that bad. He got compensated. It's not working out too badly for Abraham now, though, is it? Here's the big problem in the detail. See, a huge part of God's blessing to Abraham was that he would be a great nation would live in, in the land, the promised land, and be a blessing to others. Which means a huge part of that blessing was not just that he would have lots of stuff in the land and lots of people and cattle and servants and a massive entourage. But he would have a son, an heir, a seed, an offspring. This is not about material blessings that only last for a lifetime. It's much bigger than that. It's about a child, an offspring, through him, whom his name will last forever and ever. See, Pharaoh could give him lots of stuff, but he couldn't give him a son. There was no offspring, no seed promised to Abraham from Pharaoh that would be able to inherit the promised land, who would be a gateway for the blessings from God to Abraham's many, many descendants. And the danger is that because of these other blessings, Abraham would further lose sight of God's promise and just settle, be satisfied with what Pharaoh is giving him. 
sometimes wonder if we can fall into that same danger where we become satisfied with the blessings that come from Egypt. Because we lose sight of the promise of the blessings from God in Christ, we start to get more drawn to the short-term material blessings of this world. That temptation is always there for me. It's easy to do, isn't it? But don't just settle for what we see and feel here. That God may or may not give you material blessings. That is not where his ultimate blessings are in this life. It lies in the blessings of the offspring, the seed, in the one descendant promised to Abraham who would be the gateway to God's eternal blessings through whom we will have more than we could ever ask or imagine, with whom we will rule one day, reigning alongside the risen king in eternity. That is where God's real blessing is found. Now, those are the three dangers, but let's take a step back for a moment. Did you notice as I was going and pointing those three things out, how the promises of land, people, and blessing that God promised to Abraham have now been twisted? See, as Abraham faced the hurdle of this famine, he started to think that the promise was failing. He loses sight of the promise of God. It exposes his lack of faith, and he starts to seek those promises in other places, and he finds, starts to seek them in Egypt. Here we see the very humanness of Abraham, where we see the state of his human heart, that despite the wonderful promises of God, when we start to lose sight of them, we quickly get drawn away, and it becomes easy to try and fulfill them elsewhere. That is exactly what happened to the first humans, who despite the wonderful promise of God, who were in God's place as his people with his blessing, with God's presence there, they were drawn away to believe it wasn't enough, that it was failing, because they believed the lie that, that God was holding back. They believed the lie that God's promises weren't good, and that led them to seek fulfillment elsewhere in the fruit of the tree, which led to their fall. Imagine if Abraham had been left like this, in this state. Imagine if it ended here. No heir, no offspring. There would be no Matthew chapter 1. There would be no genealogy. There would be no New Testament. But here comes the good news, because look at the start of verse 17. But the Lord. Have you noticed, throughout this entire scene, God is not mentioned once until this moment. The famine has driven Abraham to a desperate situation. He's far from the land, having lost his wife and the promise of a people, compensated with these meager blessings from Pharaoh, but God. In Abraham's weakness, we see God's glory. This is the key to this entire passage, to our lives as Christians. This passage is not just warning us, but it shows us the glory and grace of God. He shows us how to keep our eyes fixed on the promised land, on the promised people, on his blessing. And it's really simple. It's to remember this, that God's promise prevails. God's promise prevails. See, when God says, I will, he means it. He's saying to Abraham, look, remember what I promised to you just a moment ago? Remember, remember I said I will? Well, I mean it. No matter what is going on, no matter how it might look or feel for us right now in our Christian walk, even when we fear the famine that drives Abraham towards thinking God's promises aren't going to happen, even when we, we have signs of, when we see signs of his lack of faith, even when in our lives when we face hurdles to God's promise, even when they feel distant and doubt starts to creep in, God steps in and makes it clear, my promise will come to pass. 
Look at how he does it. Think about this for a second. God had every right, actually, to cut off Abraham, I think. Abraham's drifting. He's morally compromised. He's in danger of settling in Egypt, which should never be his home. God, in his righteousness, could well have cut him off and started with somebody else. But God is faithful to his promise. God is gracious to his people. I don't think God ignores that Abraham has done wrong. Pharaoh exposes and challenges Abraham's sin in verse 18. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me? I remember once, um, Jemima and I were downstairs. Rachel was upstairs, our daughter. She's like, she's two at the time. And it was really quiet. And when you think it's really quiet, you start to worry. And then, <laughs> then my wife looked up and went, oh no. And um, I, I ran around and I looked up and she'd got a black crayon on these white walls. It's a rental home. And she just, Jackson Pollock all over it. I was like, well, that's pretty good, but. <laughs> and when we said, what are you doing? She went just silent. She didn't know what to say. Abram knows he's done wrong. And he goes silent. You don't hear from Abram again. And so we're not supposed to overlook what Abraham's done wrong. Sin needs to be challenged and confronted. But the beauty of this passage is that we have a bigger view of God's grace in how he protects Abraham to make sure his promise prevails. See, Abraham is completely stuck. There's no way out now. His wife is stuck in the palace. He's now known as a brother, and he's starting to settle and, and get stuck in this land of Egypt. But the Lord... He steps in. And he strikes not Abraham but Pharaoh with a plague, with diseases. It's a foreshadow of what is to come with Moses. Out of Egypt I will call my son, my people. And through it, Pharaoh is brought to his knees. See, Pharaoh then could go and punish Abraham and Sarah for lying and tricking him. But he doesn't, out of fear of God. And he sends him away with all the stuff as well. See, God alone rescues. Abraham was trying his best to figure out how these promises come to pass. But Abraham said, no, no, no. This is me. He drags Abraham out of Egypt and brings him home. See, God's promise prevails. He proves it to Abraham. He shows it to us. It doesn't matter how we feel or what we try and do about it. His promises aren't determined by us. It's not determined by what we do or how we react. When God says, I will, it will happen. And this this sets up a pattern, this story of Abraham sets up a pattern throughout the rest of the history of God's people. Time and time again, if you look through scripture, you will see God's promises. They look like they're not going to be fulfilled. The kings of Israel are feigning. The Israelites are rebelling. Other powers are coming in and they're getting exiled. All sorts of things seem to be going wrong. But time and time again, when it looks like they're down and they're out, God steps in. But the Lord, to show that his promise prevails. Imagine how the disciples felt when they saw Jesus. Imagine the buzz and the excitement when they saw him fulfilling what they knew was every promise they understood in the Old Testament. Doing all these wonders, speaking truth that they never heard before. Living a life of perfect righteousness. Surely this is it. This is the seed that has been promised. Here's a king we've been all waiting for. Finally it's going to happen. And then the next time they see him, they see him nailed to a cross. Breathing his last. Surely it seems to them like this promise has failed. But the Lord, 
But the Lord burst forth from the grave to show that even the mighty powers of sin and death cannot contain him. God shows once and for all that his promise prevails. It's in Christ, the very seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, that the same promise is ours. Out of Egypt, God calls his son. And through his son, we are also called out of our Egypt, where we wrongly called that home, where we were once settled dead in our transgressions and our sin into the promised land as part of a great nation, blessed in God's presence. See, God is the one in all of that who makes the promise, who keeps the promise, and makes it happen. It's him alone who saves his people out of Egypt time and time again to bring them once and for all to the promise in hand. God's promise prevails. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if this is all quite new to you, if you would say that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm a descendant of Abraham today, then can I urge you to keep coming to listen to the promise of God? Because you're going to see this unfold more and more through the life of Abraham. Because what God promises is far greater than anything this world could ever offer. Egypt, well, I can assure you, Egypt will always seem attractive to you. But when God says, I will, it happens. And he is gathering a people to himself, to his promised kingdom, where he's going to give you life, joy, light, peace, beyond what we can ever imagine. So come and see more through the life of Abraham, through the life of Jesus. And why not join our Hope Explored course tomorrow night? Because there you'll start to see how, how these promises play out, what that looks like in the details of our lives today. Come along to that. Find out more. But for us who are followers of Jesus, if you feel like you're facing a big hurdle at the moment, if you feel like doubts are starting to creep in and you think, I can't quite see God's promises at the moment. Let me tell you this. Today's sermon isn't about telling you to do your best to stop yourself from the dangers I mentioned. The passage there is just to warn us about those dangers, to show us what our hearts can be like. But what I want to remind you is what this passage shows, that God's promise prevails. That is what Abraham comes to realize. He's tried so hard, and he realizes it's all, in, it's all in God's hands. That is what we see here, and that is what we see finally in Christ. When you doubt, listen to, look at, see how time and time again God repeats and shows his promise to his people throughout Scripture, despite the numerous times they fail him. See how he displays and fulfills it most clearly through Christ at the cross. It is God's promise, the I will of God, that acts as the antidote to doubt and fear in our lives that fuels our faith. God's promises prevail. May we go out from this week remembering that in our lives. And may that strengthen us in our walk. Let's pray together. Father, in the life of Abraham, in what we see today, we see what our hearts can be like, the dangers that we can fall into when we doubt your goodness and we doubt your promises, when we try to take matters into our own hands. Father, we're so grateful that you're gracious to us, 
that you, the Lord, step in and you show us yet again that your promise prevails. Father, help us to find assurance in that. Help us to trust in that. To know that you are the great I am who says, I will. And when you say, I will, your promises come to pass. Help us to find confidence and security in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.